So Psalm 84, the psalmist writes, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Well, ever since our ancestors, Adam and Eve, were cast out of the garden, all of humanity has been longing for a home, longing for a place of safety, for a place to rest, for a place of creative expression, to enjoy the goodness of creation. We've been longing for a place to call home. Well, next Sunday, so not today, but next Sunday marks the fifth anniversary of Restoration. Uh, I still can't believe that it's been five years. Uh, Some of you have been with us since the beginning. Some of you, this is your first Sunday here. Welcome to all of you. Uh, For the first four years of our church's existence, uh, we were a nomadic church. We uh, worshipped at a community center. We were outside for a season. Uh, We were virtual for a season. Uh, That was interesting. Uh, And then we were in the, uh, uh, the theater, the Parkway Movie Theater, just up the street. At one point, the dear Lutheran congregation who was meeting here, uh, one of them approached me and said, is there any chance that you would want a building? Now, usually if you've you've ever been a part of a church plant, the answer is like, yes, Uh, just just a tip. If you're ever put in that situation, the answer is always yes, Uh, that'd be great. Uh, And we were just blown away by that. Uh, And their generosity just, just continued to surprise us. Uh, they sold us this building for one dollar. Like, what a gift. What a, what a beautiful, beautiful sign of their generosity and the work of Jesus in their life. And so today marks the one-year anniversary of worshiping on a weekly basis here in the building. Uh, Church of the Cross has given us a piece of artwork to commemorate this occasion. Uh, all of the Bible passages from the liturgy this morning come from uh, our building consecration service. Uh, a year ago, I preached a series, uh, one on each one of those passages. Uh, also, later on in the service, we're going to have a liturgy of thanksgiving to commemorate this. Uh, so thank you, Jesus, for the gift of this building. We Anglicans are keen on the saying, matter matters. And what do we mean by that? Well, what we mean is that God uses the ordinary, gritty, stuffing sort of stuffiness stuff of this earth, sometimes very boring stuff, sometimes exciting stuff. He uses the things of this earth to communicate to us, to, to um, reveal his character to us. Uh, he uses things like water and oil or bread and wine, or spit and dirt, or bolts and wood, <laughs> or, or brick and nails. He uses things to communicate to us. We are embodied people. We're not just floating beings, sort of being transmitted ideas from God and stuff. No, he's put us in bodies, in this creation, and he uses creation to speak to us. I think we could also add to this phrase, Place matters. Uh, you may have heard me say before, geography is theology. Any time in the Bible uh, a, a location is named, there's reason for that. Geography is theology. Our location, our moment in time, our proximity to other human beings, these things matter. 
And God uses all of these things to stir our hearts and, and, and to direct our desires and our attention to him. He uses even our desire to belong somewhere, a desire for home, uh, to speak, uh, to, to draw us closer to himself. The desire to belong, along with all the other desires of the human heart, are only satisfied in Jesus Christ. If we lower our desires, if we aim for something else, we're always going to be hungry. We're aiming for the gift rather than the giver. As St. Augustine said, my heart is restless until it rests in God. So I have a kind of a different sermon for today. Uh, it's, it's a simple sermon. Uh, what I want to do is I want to use the symbols of this space, the architecture of this space, uh, the, the biblical imagery that we have around us. I want to use these things to show us how God is even using this building to draw our attention and our desires and our affections towards him. I want you to see how our heart is being pointed towards the home that we have in Jesus Christ. So let's jump in. A couple of months ago, kind of as an unplanned aside, it like wasn't even in my sermon notes. I just kind of said, hey, wouldn't it be nice if uh, someone painted the doors of our sanctuary red? You know, wouldn't that be cool? And the reason why is because it's an old tradition in the church uh, for doors to be painted red, and not just any color red, but like blood red. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who are far off, that is lost, and this is all of us, me and you, all of us were lost in our sin and our shame, but God in his abundant love and grace came down to earth, died upon the cross, so that by his suffering and death we might be saved. His blood has brought us near to him. Our relationship is restored to him, to God, through the shedding of blood by his son, Jesus Christ. And this isn't something that we do. So when we pass through those doors, it's, it's not like we have to get our stuff together. It's not like we have to uh, 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 sort of, yeah, get our stuff together. Like, like Jesus did it all. Like Jesus did it all for us. He's already paid the price for our entrance in here so we can come into his presence and bask in his glory and his beauty and his peace because of what he has done upon the cross. Oh, I forgot to say this. Someone did paint the doors red. Uh, They're red. They pop. They're beautiful. So as you drive by the church, as you enter through the church, please do look at the doors. We enter into this fellowship through the blood of Jesus Christ. So our family loves going up to the North Shore, and one of the things that that I really enjoy is watching these massive ships coming in. And you can just like sit on a a park bench somewhere and just watch these ships roll by. They're absolutely huge. Uh, They're like the size of South Minneapolis or something ridiculous like that. Um, But the, the, the waters of Lake Superior are not safe. Uh, for a variety of reasons. In fact, you can go to a shipwreck museum. It's on the UP, so it's kind of at the, at the tip of the UP. Uh, this ship museum on Lake Superior, you can learn about hundreds and hundreds of ships that have succumbed to the turbulent storms of Lake Superior. So when you see these ships that are still intact, it's kind of odd. It's, it's like overwhelming, you know, because you know that these vessels are absolutely mighty. They've seen a lot of storms. They are led by experienced and smart crews. These are mighty ships. So if you've ever sat here and you've kind of looked at these beams 
and you thought, huh, these kind of look like the underside of a ship. I would say that's a very astute observation. <laughs> the name for this room that we're in right now is called the nave. Uh, that's the Latin word, it comes from the Latin word navis, uh, which means ship. Naval, you know, we, go, we can go from there. So it means ship. You see, when you step into here, you are stepping into the ship of Christ's church. And this is a mighty vessel. In fact, let me read something to you from our baptismal liturgy. I will be praying this liturgy next week for our baptisms, but listen to this. Almighty and everlasting Father, in your great mercy, you saved Noah and his family and the ark from the destruction of the flood, prefiguring the sacrament of holy baptism. Look mercifully upon these, your servants. Wash and sanctify them through your Holy Spirit, that they may be delivered from the destruction and received into the ark of Christ's church. And being steadfast in faith, joyful through hope, and rooted in love, they may pass through the turbulent floods of this troublesome world and come into the land of everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that beautiful? The answer is yes, yes. That's just, like, amen. And like, I'm excited to pray that over the water and, and, and those, those four kids next week who we're going to be baptizing. Like, praise the Lord. And the way in which we, we remember that ourselves every Sunday is by dipping our fingers in, in the holy water, in, in that baptismal font that's at the entrance of the church. Another reminder uh, that we are cleansed by Christ. And we get to enter in here. And you, when we make the sign of the cross on ourselves, that's not a, a good luck charm. That's a reminder of the cross that's sealed over us at baptism, that we belong to Christ, that we get to take refuge in his church. Do you hear the stability that God wants to provide for you? Against all these false ideologies, these foolish conspiracies and ravenous violence that are like crashing waves upon the human soul? And when the church is healthy, she is like a mighty ship, and no flood can bring her down. Be sheltered by the ark of Christ's church. One of the things that I really love about this room is the stained glass. And I, um, I, I talked about this a year ago. I'm going to talk about this again. But the, the glass tells us the story of the life of Christ, starting at the beginning. Uh, we see here that this is Jesus um, being incarnate, taking upon him flesh. That's the star of Bethlehem. Uh, you've got the manger there. And then he was the son of a carpenter, uh, learned our work, was, was uh, a worker like us, took on human vocation. Uh, the fish remind us of his calling of the disciples uh, there when he said, I will make you fishers of men. We have the first miracle at the wedding at Cana, which he turned the water into wine. God likes to have parties. Uh, we, here we see that he is the great healer. He, he breaks the chains of, of the garrison demoniac. He helps paralytics learn to walk again. He sees our brokenness and wants to make us whole. And then here we see the institution of the Lord's Supper with the, the wine and the bread. He takes the things of this earth and turns them into means of grace where our souls are fed and nourished. Over here we see the betrayal, or the torch and the, the coins uh, that Judas received, uh, the, the, the cord that, that bound Jesus. Here we see the, the crucifixion, the blood that was shed for us. Here we see the butterfly, which represents resurrection and new life uh, that Jesus gives us. 
Here we see the outpouring of his spirit on the day of Pentecost. This panel is, uh, this one I think is traditional in Lutheran churches. It's like a, a word and, and grace, uh, law and grace kind of panel where Jesus holds the keys to new life. Uh, where we're not slaves to the law anymore, but now we are slaves to Christ. And here this final panel is, is Christ the King. How he now sits enthroned on the, in heaven, interceding on our behalf. Uh, Christ the King Sunday we'll be celebrating in a few weeks. So each one of these is kind of like a mini sermon in and of itself. It reminds us as we come in here that Jesus walks with us. That our story is his story. That we can be mentored by Christ. We can, we can sit down with Jesus. We can listen to his words as if they're words that are spoken over us. That he sees our brokenness and by the power of his love, he wants to make us whole. So when the, when the light illuminates this glass, may you know that you inherit the life of Christ. In John's gospel, he records Jesus saying, When I am lifted up from the earth... I will draw all people to myself. And then John adds, he says, Jesus said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. The throne of Jesus Christ is the cross. Now, our sanctuary cross is mounted pretty high. And uh, some of you made that very clear to me uh, when we moved into the building. <laughs> but there is, that's, that is very intentional. Uh, we have this as, as high as we think it would be appropriately to go. And what's actually incredible is that when all the drywall was off this wall, the Lutherans had a cross that was even higher. And I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> you, know? uh, you could see the mounting, the, bracket, the, yeah, the mounting points for the old cross behind the drywall. But what this cross does, the, oh, and we have a long vertical beam here to even make it feel higher. And that is because the cross is the glory of the Son of God. When he is lifted high, all people will be drawn to him. The dark wood of the cross reminds us of his humanity. And that gold halo, uh, if you want to know in detail how it was made, ask Paul. He's the one who made it. Uh, but that gold halo reminds us of the divinity, the eternal divinity of Christ. Jesus is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. He is our life and our light. In Galatians, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live here in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when you marvel at the cross, be drawn near to the love of Christ. Now, these four things that I've mentioned, let's see if you can remember all of them, the blood doors, the nave, the glass, the cross. Now, it it would be foolish of us to think about these things, to think about this building, and to merely tell ourselves that we Christians are trying to escape from the world around us. Oh, I just want to hide in the church. Now, that's not to say that we should come here and be restored and built up and, and new life poured into us, but we don't come here to hide In fact, I've heard uh, from some church experts that as soon as a a young congregation like ours gets a new building, it's sometimes the beginning of the end. Because what does the church do? All of the the resources, the events, everything starts getting turned in on the building itself. You know, all the money goes into fixing things, adding new things. 
um, all of our time gets spent and, and sometimes even our evangelistic efforts transform into I want to tell someone about Jesus to I want to get someone inside of the church. And, and again, it's good to bring people inside of the church, but we need to tell people about Jesus. Uh, it's easy to see how these physical things can sometimes even turn into idols themselves. So it would be foolish to think that we're withdrawing from the world when we come in here. Because the reality is that the church exists in order to pierce the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. The church exists to pierce the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. I think one of the most odd and interesting components of this building that we've inherited is that tower that's right out front. Have you all seen that? It's very pointy, isn't it? Kind of looks like a spear that's sort of emerging out of the depths of the earth. Uh, It's super tall. You can see it as soon as you come over the hill that's just north of us. Uh, If your plane flies in at at just the right angle, uh, you can reach down and you can touch the the top of the tower. Uh, It's very impressive. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's an incredible tower. So it's this sharp metallic spire. Um, and I shared this at the first service, and I told them that I wasn't going to share this at the second service. But then I felt guilty, so I, I will share this. But the previous congregation called it the oil derrick. Like, let's, let's not call it that, please. Um, on this tower are these four panels depicting the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they have the beasts, uh, uh, the symbols, uh, the beasts uh, from the book of Revelation. The four beasts are also depicted on there with them. And at the top of it is a metal rooster. And you might be like, why in the world is a rooster at the top of a church's... Some of you are laughing because I know you've asked that question before. Well, if you recall the story of Peter... (laughs) Some of you are really laughing at that. Uh, If you recall the story of Peter, you know that he denied Jesus three times. And immediately afterwards, a rooster crowed. And Peter wept bitterly. And then later, after Jesus had risen from the dead... Jesus found Peter. He made a meal for Peter. And three times he asked him, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, yes, yes. Like rebuilding, restoring that broken relationship. Jesus gave to Peter that day a a renewed sense of purpose and of peace. So that tower is the gospel tower. That's what we're going to call this. That is the gospel tower. It is a call to all the neighborhood to turn, to turn to Christ. And so when we walk out of this building, may we be reminded that out of God's abundant love and grace and mercy, Jesus calls even the most broken among us. And he calls us to share the good news of Christ with the neighborhood around us as well. The good news of Jesus' love pierces our neighborhood. It pierces our workplaces. It pierces our households. And it pierces our own heart. So one more thing. So sacred space is not limited to the property line of the church. First Peter uh, makes this very evident. Peter, in, his, in that New Testament epistle that we read, he's writing to a dispersed people, many of whom may not have even known each other. This letter was being circulated among people who had been scattered across the Middle Eastern world. And he says to them that every Christian is a part of the priesthood of all believers. And then he says that we ourselves are living stones built upon Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. We are living stones being built up as a holy temple for the presence of God. So my question for you is that as a priest of a holy nation, where can you foster sacred spaces? 
Where can you foster sacred spaces in, in the domains and the areas that God has given you responsibility, opportunity for creativity? How can you surround yourself with, with holy art or symbols or even just reserved space to remind yourself of our eternal home and our earthly mission? So here at Restoration, we have this this um, miniature sort of compilation of, of Anglican liturgies. Uh, Andrew Preston, one of our ministry residents from a couple of, uh, from a, a year ago, um, compiled this for us. And in this is a home blessing liturgy. Uh, usually we encourage people to do this uh, in Epiphany, but it's always a good idea to bless your home. So grab this on your way out. And I just want to read to you one of the blessings. This, one, this one's for a dining room. We lift up our hearts to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We give you thanks and praise for the gift of food and drink to sustain our lives and to, and to make us glad in you. May your abiding presence rest upon this table. And as we feast, may you satisfy us as we look forward to the day when we will be with you in your eternal kingdom at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Amen. So I encourage you to take one of those home and pray through every room in your house with it. Ask God to bless those spaces and to set them apart as physical reminders of spiritual realities. In all of this, both our, our, our home as a faith community and your homes uh, at home, in your homes at home, in your houses and, and places where you live, by His blood, may you be reminded that by His blood, you can enter into his presence with gladness in the protection of his church. We are guarded from the turbulent waters of this troublesome world by the life of Christ. We are mentored, healed and made whole by the cross of Christ. We receive power to vanquish sin and fear no evil. And by the good news of Christ, we can bring his gospel, the hope of Christ to a lost and broken world. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the gift of beauty that through it you make yourself known and you stir our hearts. Lord Jesus, may we reflect you, the beautiful one. May we reflect your glory, your grace, and your goodness, your forgiveness, and your peace to those around us. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.